The Creative Relay is recorded, mixed and mastered at Smith & Weston Studios. If you want to improve the quality of your podcast or start a podcast of your own, go to smithandweston.com.au and get your first episode produced for free. I'm Paul Dunn and welcome to The Creative Relay, the podcast where Australia's most inspiring creatives talk to the creatives that most inspire them. Brought to you by Smith & Weston. So here's the deal. Each episode, you'll hear from an inspiring creative mind, first to be interviewed and then interviewing the creative of their choice in the following episode. Before we begin, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. Last time on The Creative Relay, Cam Blackley told us about his approach to his new gig as head honcho at M&C Saatchi. It's a much bigger role and there's other companies in the group which I'll be working with on ideas and a big creative direction for the entire M&C Saatchi group. It'll be good, just bigger and more people to convince that this is the way that we should do things. I'm pretty sure that I, I'm, I'm going to need to hit the ground running there, so that's fine, fine by me. So now it's his turn to pass on the baton. You're listening to The Creative Relay Podcast. Okay, so, Cam Blackley, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to see you. Now, It's nice to be back. When uh, we last spoke with you with Tara, mm -hmm. and we asked for a little hint about who you were going to talk to next time. I hadn't done my homework. You had no idea, did you? Well, I had a couple of people in mind, but I, I kind of thought this character would be good to interview, and I think the transition from mainstream advertising into his current position would be interesting for people, and also his... Uh, well known as one of the funniest men in advertising and a, and a lovely guy. So. Well, he sounds like an excellent choice. Would you like to reveal then to us who, who's coming to talk to us today? It's uh, it's Dave Bowman, who is a... Uh, is an old, we used to work together at Droga 5. He's an old mate. But listen, I, I worked with Matty Burton for a lot longer because we were in New York together. Dave came back to... Um, uh, work at Saatchi's and Matty and I continued on and we ended up at Droga 5 in, in Sydney. Um, so there's a lot of about Dave that I don't know into, uh, about his history um, and his rise to his current position at Google um, and also he's got some very interesting outside interests which you know we'll talk about uh, you know in the music spheres. Awesome. Okay, well let's get him in. Let's do it. <laughs> Slow clap. G'day, g'day. G'day, g'day. It's not stage one, it's just a long walk in. <laughs> Dave Bowman, welcome to the Creative Relay. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for coming in. Um, all right, so I was just saying um, a second ago that obviously we worked together in New York briefly and you, um, you took off and then I worked with um, uh, Maddie for a while. So, but I don't know as much about your sort of rise and I think what really, works really well in this program is, is talking about how people get to their current position and that kind of rise, their first, you know, in their beginnings, their, you know, um, you know, who gave you your first start, all that kind of stuff. So we go through that and then um, I'll just ask you some random stuff at the end and we'll see that how we go. That sounds good to me. All right. I, I'd start by saying I think I've been very lucky. I don't, I don't know how much of this, um, how, how much of my career has anything to do with skill. I think I've just been lucky to be surrounded by interesting people. I somehow managed to get myself into a glorified work experience position, which is how I got into advertising. So I was doing a um, communications degree at UTS uh, about 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a weird one because I, I kind of uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do, and that sort of felt like a place where you could do lots of things. Um, and Where was this place? Uh, well, UTS, I meant. Uh, oh, right, more, okay. More for I a, like, the this, work experience. Yeah, the comms degree was sort of more like you could be a journalist or you could get into advertising or you could get into design. It sort of felt – but it was in its sort of generalness, it kind of made like me feel arts. a little bit like I was – Yeah, to, no, it was definitely – it was a Bachelor of Arts in Communication. At the end it was, of it, yeah. You know, preparing me for working in a fish and chip shop. But um, about two years into that, I um, had to do this professional attachment thing, which was sort of work experience. And um, I hit up a bunch of advertising agencies, uh, like maybe like 20 of them. Um, and back in those days, um, largely pre-email, I was sending letters and cold calling. And only one of them got back to me. 
Um, and that was uh, Neil Lawrence, who was the then ECD and kind of CEO and everything else at TBWA um, in Sydney, uh, then called Wyburn TBWA, uh, sorry, Wyburn Lawrence TBWA. Um, and so I went in for two weeks of work experience and was, you know, sort of largely out of my depth and had no idea what was going on. And um, then started kind of having a lot of fun and refused to leave. And no one really <laughs> asked any questions. And I just kept turning up. And I was sitting right next to the printer, which was kind of the only place there was a spare chair. So I'd sort of have these weird conversations with the creatives as they were kind of like, "What do you? how long are you doing this thing for? And I was like, oh, a little bit longer. And they were like, okay. And then a few weeks in, they were like, no, seriously, how long does this actually go for? And I was like, I'm basically trying not to leave. <laughs> and what like, that makes them nervous yeah, though, doesn't it? A little bit. <laughs> Although I think I was I was kind of uh, bad enough that no one felt threatened, so that was a was a that was a positive thing for them. Um, and so I started asking if I could just help work on briefs, and I'm sure I was almost no help at all. But they were lovely people um, by and large, and started trying to help me out. And um, Maddie was working there in the studio, and um, he wanted to sort of get into the creative department. I think initially we sort of saw each other as kind of competition, and then we realised that um, I couldn't um, draw anything or art direct, and he couldn't spell. And so we were like, this this actually could be perfect. A problem that continues to this day. Yeah, well, sadly, um, we've taken that problem to a number of different companies around the world. <laughs> but uh, and they, most of them took quite some time to find out. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so we were doing that for a while, and um, after the, the the kind of strangest twist was, I was working in a, a bunch of different businesses to actually kind of be able to pay my rent. So I was um, I was working in a, a Mexican restaurant. Um, I was working in a library in North Sydney, which is still possibly the best job I've ever had because I could just wear headphones, listen to music, and shelve books, which was sort of strangely therapeutic. And uh, then I kind of got to the eve of my twenty first birthday. And I was like, I've, I really just want to try and actually get a job here and get paid. So I thought it would be a really good idea if I invited Neil Lawrence to my 21st birthday because I thought that would make it sufficiently weird for him that he might offer me a job at some point. And he would feel guilty that I had paid for him to come and have dinner with me, even though he didn't physically pay me any money, and I had now been working there for free for six months. And it worked. And he went to ask uh, someone else uh, then um, we were working with who was sort of running the whole print producing operation there, who's a, a lovely woman called Leanne Pine, who is still very talented and runs her own business these days, and who's awesome. And uh, she said, oh, I've been asked to Dave's birthday, which is weird. Um, what do you reckon I should get him? And she just said, maybe a job would be appropriate. And he and he was sort of taken aback and said, what do you mean? He's got a job. He's here. He probably she, thought you were employed. He, did, he, he, deals he, with just all thought, that. he just thought I was getting paid. Like he was not into the exploitation thing at all, clearly. And and he was like, what, what do you mean? And she's like, well, he hasn't been paid and he's been here for six months, you know. And Maddie's doing all his work at night after he gets done with like the print jobs and stuff and running the studio. And, and he was like horrified and was like, oh, my God, we don't pay them? And she's like, well, you don't pay them for what they're doing kind of here. And he was like, oh, God, okay. And so I just got a single uh, with comp slip that said, we're giving you a job and here's your starting salary and don't be late on Monday. And I was like, <laughs> the plan worked. <laughs> what an amazing 21st present. So it's definitely the best present did he I turn got up? for a 21st. No, he did turn up. And I'm sure it was really weird for him. Yeah. Because there's a bunch of people he didn't know very well. <laughs> he essentially gave you a career for your 21st birthday. That's the way I see it. Yeah. That's awesome. And Maddie got one as well. And he was at the 21st birthday. He also got one. And I was kind of like, well, it's not technically his birthday for another yeah, four months, so that's weird. But, um but we were so stoked. We actually both framed them. We got them framed and put them on our uh, on and our. And you walls still have them. It's probably somewhere in a box. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've not seen it in a number of years, but I'm sure it's around you're, somewhere. You're. It's almost like the uh, Dave Droger um, Award School mini pencil, the only award that he keeps in his office. So yeah. that when you have that massive corner office, you need to have that little slip from Neil. That would be pretty cool. Very cool. There is something quite understated about that little tiny award pencil too. Just like yeah, yeah, yeah confident. I mean, I didn't win awards, so I can't do that. It's really amazing because um, Neil's little tendrils have sort of reached to a lot of people uh, over the years, and we, I mean, he's come up nearly every episode we've done in this podcast. I think. I think he was amazingly influential. Yeah. Not not just on me. I mean, definitely on me. But but the number of people I've met and encountered and even just briefly in my career that had some kind of involvement with him, either through TBWA and that era or through Y&R before that. Yeah. Because he's sort of, um, I mean, it's a long time back now, but he was, he 
transformed Y&R, yeah. certainly in North totally. Sydney and then, in, and then also down in South Australia and built that whole thing up. Mm. Um, but there are so many people who who they kind of, um, even if they weren't directly kind of shaped by him, were definitely influenced by yeah. him. Like Jonathan would be another example. Yeah, they used to work very closely. And, Quietly influential, though, I, I found. Mm. You know, he never sort of, never seemed to grandstand all that much, but he just seemed to have such an amazing a, influence. I think he people. had a good eye. Yeah. And I think as a, as a guy who was clearly um, a talented writer, sort of inside and outside of advertising, you know, he really took the craft of writing very seriously. And I, I still remember after he'd sort of offered me this job, he did still sit me down and wanted to get into, like, who are your favourite authors and why do you actually want to write things? And he was really, like, he was almost like, I think, fact-checking his decision. <laughs> kind <Yeah>. of like, <laughs> I kind of need you to care about all that sort of stuff. And, yeah. you know, but it was good. It sort of made me feel like it wasn't just, you know, the industry wasn't just about um, kind of silliness and puns and all that sort of stuff. He's like, no, it's actually, like, you kind of you need to have some depth here and yeah. you can't just write the same way every time. You need to have be able to embrace different styles, which, to be honest, at the time I definitely couldn't, and now I maybe can a little bit, but it's still that is something that I think any copywriter struggles with is going, uh, I've got to try and figure out how I become different brands over the years. Yeah. And it's still intimidating, I think, for anyone to kind yeah. of go, how, what's Find that What's that voice? You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's, absolutely. I think for any creative, really, even if you're not a writer, it's still that kind of <clears throat> moment. Yeah, and I, I think um, I think I probably brushed on that when I did it, but, um, but finding that tone, nailing that tone is absolutely the most important thing for any brand. Yeah, totally. You get, it, you get it slightly off and the consumer goes, oh, well, second. Yeah, that's not who, you. Who, that's, who are you? That's these yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's Old Spice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Which you say over and over. Yeah. So yeah. how long were you there for? So I was there for ages. Uh, I was there for like five years. Okay. And that was like the first five years of my career. And I, I think I had that classic thing where even five years in, it was still we were very much the juniors, you know. And in, if I'm really honest... Um, we really were the juniors. I sort of feel like I still didn't really understand how advertising worked. And I don't think that was any fault of anyone theirs except mine. Um, mm. But I I think it the penny really dropped when I started working with Jonathan Kneebone and Gary Friedman at Glue Society. Yeah, that was a real moment for me where I was like and, – and I actually started working with them when they were working at TVWA. So they were doing a right. couple of jobs for, yeah. um, uh, for Neil and they used to do a lot of the um, kind of – at the at that point in time, good Fairfax work. So they sort of they launched, I think they launched Good Food Month and some of those institutions mm-hmm. that's still going now, um, with some really cool work at the time. And so I sort of got to spend a bit of time with those guys, and I suddenly realised like there was a there was kind of a higher level, particularly with Jonathan, like that that kind of you know analytical and strategic thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, is, I think to this day is still something to to really kind of be impressed by. Did they leave um, with you? In their bags, or or do they or well, did no, they say I come across a you know year what later it was or... an even weirder one. We so just to give you the the bridge there. After five years, um, we were starting to get a bit bored, um, and I wanted to go basically travelling. So I took the best part of a year off and um, went to the states and went to lots of music festivals, which was really cool. Um, has obviously nothing to do with work. Uh, and then I basically turned up back in Sydney very broke and with a credit card debt, and Maddie was sort of in a similar situation. And so um, we actually ended up um, working back at TBWA for a little bit, just freelance until the credit kind of situation was resolved. Uh, and then we decided we might try and give it a run freelancing. So we actually ended up freelancing for a few months um, around town, did a lot of stuff with Host back when they were like a... Yeah. I don't know, maybe a six-person shop or a four-person shop and um, stayed working with them for a, a number of years, actually. And in a weird twist of fate, we'd sort of asked um, Anthony, you know, if he could guarantee us enough work to at least be able to pay our rent, and he did, and he was very kind on that front. Uh, and we had a few other jobs that we picked up with other agencies around town just on on the edges. But um, he contacted us and said, oh, look, we've got this job for Virgin and um, Glue Society don't want to do it. And they're wondering if you want to do it. And I'm like, yep, we'll do it. I'm like, I don't even know what it is, but we need the work. Let's do it. And it was this sort of weird retail campaign, um, basically advertising five-cent calls and texts. And uh, we came up with a very strange campaign uh, involving this guy called Warren who was like – we basically ran dating videos on TV and people thought they were real. And it turned out they were kind of like this character for Virgin. And I think they got about 1.2 million – calls in the first week of the campaign and it was one of those things where when we put it to air we were like this is pretty weird Mm. 
So they actually made enough money from the calls that were being made to that third-party phone number that they'd bought and were selling on at like two cents profit each time. They made enough money to run their next two years' marketing campaigns. So after that point, it became clear that they were like, oh, my God, um, these guys came up with that thing that made us all this money and it's kind of weird and funny and people responded positively to. So they're like, you can now do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. And so and Glue were like, do you want to come and just work here? So they talked us out of freelancing and we just took a job at Glue Society, yeah. which was awesome. I think we learned more in that three-odd years that we were there than anywhere else I've, I've kind of worked. Um, I think mainly because of the personalities of those two, but also because of the nature of the opportunities they had at that point in time. We were really lucky. And did the, the next five cent campaign come straight on the hot on the heels of that? Yeah, we basically we did one follow up campaign with with the Warren thing. It was kind of like they quickly realised that like we've got to do something different. So we did something even weirder after that, which was called Ming Mong. It was basically like picture messaging, uh, competitive picture messaging. Yeah. Which years later, I was at DNAD judging, and Jonathan was judging, and he gave a talk about the ten years, last ten years of the Glue Society's work or whatever, and he played that in there and afterwards someone stood up and said so you basically invented snapchat but didn't get paid for it and he, went, <laughs> and he just sort of bowed his head and was like uh yeah i mean i, sp- I suppose that yeah i mean there is a parallel there <laughs> and i was laughing at the back and afterwards he's like i hadn't thought about it like that and i was like dude don't think about it like that oh, oh, a broken man yeah, totally he's i mean jonathan's so pra- kind of pragmatic and yeah you know he, he just laughed it off but there was a moment of like oh yeah well, i hadn't thought that's, about that's that that's only a billion or two <laughs> yeah um and then we did um Five Cent, which was a uh, kind of miniature version of 50 Cent, which is a terrible pun and sh- mm. probably shouldn't have happened, but um, seemed to work quite well big. for them also. It was big. And there was <laughs> it was a, big for it was a small a, guy. national tour, wasn't it? Yeah, they, yeah. they toured with the Big Day Out, which is even weirder. Um, <laughs> and it's not. it was never his voice, so he actually had to get a rapper from, um, from L.A. to record the voice because he actually had a really high, sort of almost jockey-esque voice he was a really high-pitched voice so that was a weird one so touring him as like a basically as a as a kind of lip-syncing actor i think was mixed levels of success with that um yeah so but from that point on they were basically like i think their trust was sort of established i think definitely a good argument for um i suppose trying to get good commercial outcomes for a client and then obviously if they're if they see them they're usually pretty forthcoming and trustworthy you know or trusting mm. rather after that and, and they definitely gave us a lot of rope pretty progressive media approach as well for the time i guess you know if you're looking at the target market and mm. that's what obviously. everyone wants to do now is do like you know something a bit offbeat and strange or native or whatever and and, and at the time again it was that was accidental like not not conceptually but in terms of being able to do it it was we were just really lucky so we one of our clients at glue society was xyz entertainment who Mm. run channel v and a lot of the kind of music side of stuff at foxtel so we used to do a lot of work for them and they were like man that's really funny and they were like have you shot the full clip we're like well we have we're trying to run it in pieces and they were like we'll run the whole thing for free yeah, and we're yeah. like, okay, so Channel V picked it up because they thought it was funny. Right. And they were also then supporting the big day out. So they were like, man, this is – it was kind of like an inside joke, really. But they, their programmers were like, well, people are requesting it, so we're going to put it on. And we're like, okay. And I think at the time no one really gave thought to what that would have cost if you'd tried to buy that. Uh, but it was great for them because they were like, this is awesome. It's just sort of getting natural traction. But I think only because people just thought it was a stupid joke. Mm. And then um, anything else at Glue or, or after Glue? Or oh, was... we, did, we did a bunch of other work there. But we, um, we, I think after that we made the only really bad mistake uh, in terms of our careers um, off the back of that job and we moved for money. So we that's the only time in my mm. entire career where I've decided to move based on what the salary was and it was diabolical. Um, I won't mention the agency, but we moved to a then big agency in Sydney and I think we we did maybe 12 weeks and we're like, I don't, I don't think we can do this. Mm. It was a real culture of heavy daytime drinking, sexism, not a huge amount of focus on any of the creativity and people were like... Uh, we'll just crack that tomorrow or the day after. And I was like, man, I've I've come here like on the promise of doing big work for big brands and having like international kind of impact on this thing. <clears throat> and then I turned up there and it was just not as it had been kind of written in the brochure really. I was like, oh, people don't really care here. And the creative leadership who were great at 7.30 in the morning to over a coffee about telling me what was gonna, what it was going to be like here were clearly, you know, they'd sort of checked out. Yeah. And so we were like, straight on the phone to the recruiter going, 
I'm not doing this. Like, this is career death. We're going to be here for a year or two and do nothing, mm. and that's the worst thing. I'd prefer to make something I'm not entirely happy with than make nothing. And um, so we had a quite an honest conversation with the with the recruiter, and they were like, "Well, there is a job going in New Zealand at Saatchi's working with Michael Sullivan, and." You know, it's, I know you don't want to move to New Zealand because, you know, it was like that sort of wasn't really on our radar, um, but it'll be awesome. And he's well regarded and his, you know, his track record of getting good workouts great. And it's, New Zealand's a faster market, so you get more stuff done. And I was like, okay. He gave it a bit of thought. And, um, you know, Mike said, oh, I want you, you know, have a chat to us and, you know, every time we kind of gave him an obstacle, like my girlfriend lives in Sydney and she's a primary school teacher and has to do the next six months in that school, he'd be like, cool, I'll fly her here every weekend or we'll fly you back every weekend. How about that? And I'm like, oh, okay. okay. And then it was like every problem we brought him was like, that's actually not a problem and here's a way we could solve it. I was like, oh, okay. And then over the course of all those chats, I was just like, actually, he's just a really lovely guy and um, and I would really like to work for him. So we basically just jettisoned, um, moved our lives to New Zealand and worked there for about three years. And it was awesome. Um, he's he's the, f the first person, I think, in my professional career who set us down uh, way ahead of time um, when we could ever justify or, or contemplate being creative directors and said, if you want to be creative directors one day, you're going to have to start thinking about not just your own work but other people's work and how you might try and help them shape it and you know, you've got to be a bit more willing and open to, like, bowl up to someone and be like, oh, have you thought about this? And not in a kind of trying to get your name on it way, which just, often happens, but more just, just trying to Just giving help. away. Just ideas. being generous. Yeah, yeah. being yeah. generous. That, that's the best way to explain it, being, being generous with your creativity. And um, I was like, oh, that's cool. And, you know, so we started trying to, I suppose, do that a little bit more. And, and, and he said also, which has always stuck with me, he's like, do you want me to tell you the reason why I played things the way I did over the next year or two. And I was like, that would be awesome. Most creative directors, are, you know, keep the cards up on that one. Mm. Um, I've tried to be quite transparent about that. I know you have too, Cam, in terms of, like, you know, particularly helping your people get better. It's I think telling them why you did things is a great way of at least getting them to understand not just the commercial realities of what you do, but also, the, you know, the, the reasons behind it can be a really good justification for it um, yeah. often too, which builds builds all kinds of trust and, you know, makes them realise that your job is actually quite different to their job. And, yeah. But he was he was really good at that. You know, he would sit, sit us down and be like, okay, I think it should have been this idea, but there's no way we can pitch that and it's based on this, this and this. And he's like, but what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to go in with this stuff, then in a week or two weeks... We're gonna we're gonna kind of bring this back into the table and we'll, we'll go forth. And he's like, I guarantee you, we can sell it, but it's just gonna be a little bit of a game of chess. And he'd be like, at the time, I was like, oh god, this sound, this sounds like it's on the road to nowhere. But he was actually often really good at just making sure that he was playing things the right way, and then also informing us and kind of going, you know, he could have been a a bit of a dictator on that front and just been like, nah, that's dead. This is going, you know. But also, you know, understanding you know clients and understanding that certain clients might expect another round or two. Yeah, so, exactly. So keep and, your powder dry and, you know, so yeah, identifying those. Come back you know. in at the time's not right for this. And, you know, that's, that's true. I mean, it, I think as you, as you spend more time in the business, your, your radar gets better and, you know, you start, you start realizing that you've kind of lost a little bit of a sixth sense for when things are going to go wrong. And you're like, <laughs> no, 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 don't give them that. <laughs> not yet. Today's, a, today's, today's a, not the day. Today's a day when everything dies. Let's just hold that back. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mike, Mike used to also have, um, what we referred to as the thong of death. So um, <laughs> he spent the entire time, give or take maybe one or two pitch days, when we were in New Zealand wearing cargo shorts, thongs and a T-shirt. Uh, and you can tell he's Irish because, you know, even when it was sort of like one degree and raining outside, he was still wearing shorts and thongs and just sweating. You know, like, yeah, probably <laughs> incredibly tough. But he used to get you to put your ideas on the floor of his office and he would sit there in a wheelie chair and then just like, you know, he'd like kick them left and right and eventually it'd be like the you know the the couple that he was maybe there's something in that would end up on one side and all the others would get kicked over into a pile in the corner and then it'd just be like you know those ones are staying yeah. all right bye and you'd be like okay yeah. then you'd like, but you'd have to shuffle around on your hands and knees yeah. and pick up and bits like, of paper yeah, totally <laughs> you'd come out sort of vaguely humiliated and people would be like what survived and you'd be like i think these two or nothing or oh we had a really good day this is amazing right? all this stuff's alive still <laughs> uh, which was funny i don't think he ever knew that so sorry mike if i've just uh, exposed you now <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> Uh, from there? Well, we tried to move back to Sydney yeah. from New Zealand, and then uh, Dave Droger 
somehow got hold of our book, um, I think maybe then through FBI, mm. and said, oh, do you want to have a chat to him? There's maybe an opportunity to go work in New York. And I was like, no, I, I haven't really necessarily ever wanted to live in New York. I've been there traveling lots and really enjoyed it, but I was like, I don't know. But then I was also like, you can't say no to that opportunity. And mm. it was also one of those moments where... You know, we, Maddie and I were both, I think, feeling that if we didn't do that, we would never have that chance. So we got on the phone, chatted to him and Duncan, Marshall and Ted, mm. and we were like, man, these guys sound pretty fun. Um, it sounds like culturally there's something really interesting happening here. Also kind of inherently I was like, why would he walk away from three quite wildly successful years in publicist as their worldwide creative director like what you know like he must be really driven and like obviously we you know everyone knew he was in the public eye but i didn't know him personally so i was kind of like this is kind of an interesting interesting guy um and so we got the shipping company to like turn the container around and start sailing it back <laughs> to new york um so yeah we ended up sitting next to you in uh, a cold um, office with holes in the floor on Canal Street in New York City some, we some weeks later. It was great. That was a it, fun time. It was a good time. Yeah. We, it was a lot of, lot of, geez, a lot of hours. Yeah, I think it was all the hours at one, <laughs> at one, at one point. Our whip was at 9 p.m. on a Sunday. Do you yeah, remember that? At the right. pub across the road from his house. It was good times. It was good. I mean, weirdly, though, great culture. Incredible, like that sounds incredibly. a little bit like a jail sentence when you just look at the numbers, but in terms of the people who were there and the work that was coming out and the, I suppose the way that whole thing manifested itself in those early days, it was pretty cool. We were about 25 or 30 people, and I think we were really just really tight and just fighting for each other, right? We really believed in um, in the people. like We believed in the yeah. creative leaders. So from, I mean, it was a, a ragtag bunch of, of interesting um, people, I felt like the least interesting person there, but they were re really cool people, passionate, funny, like Ted and Duncan, h hilarious. Um, the energy was always good, man. They were really like, good. just like even the downtime was funny. I think the move from Canal Street, we moved up to sort of what was it, Astor Place on Lafayette there. Lafayette, yeah. Um, that was good. That kind that, of felt. That kind of felt like it was suddenly a proper that company. Was proper, yeah. Is it, is it, there must have been, I guess, some parallels for for you though, Dave, just with making that move to that sort of fledgling place with. The, what happened at Glue Society, I, I guess, in a way. Yeah, it's good. The, there's an interesting vibe about little places. Yeah, yeah. Like I've worked I as a view in tiny places and giant places, and it's there's a lot to be said for both. But the um, I don't know the the tiny places I've I've found I'm years and years and years later I'm a lot closer to the people who you had that shared kind of environment with because yeah. it is it's a lot more stretch in those places like senior people have to do junior things and yeah. ju and junior people have to do really senior things you yeah. know you get a kid who's suddenly going you can build the document for this you know 20 million dollar pitch and you know there's a degree of kind of fear about that but there's also a what an amazing opportunity sure, like i've yeah. never been trusted with that mm. and then at the same time really senior people who will be like I'm going to the to the store to buy toilet paper for the office, and you're like mm. just seeing those sorts of things as a junior or kind of midway when you look at that, and you're like, you know, that person must really care about this. They must really care about my movements. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and after so Droga, um, so then you uh, left. You left. I Earlier. left a little bit before you guys yep. um, and moved back to Australia. I think I, the, the truth is I'd, I had um, coerced my uh, then-girlfriend and then-wife, uh, Felicity, to move to New Zealand then to America, and she was eventually just like, uh, I think I'm done on moves for your career. <laughs> I want to move back to Australia, please. And to be honest, probably not aided by the fact that we were working seven days a week in yeah. the company and... So, um, yeah, we moved back. I ended up getting a job working uh, with Steve back um, at Archie's, um, which was fun. And I was there for about three years and did, did lots of fun stuff there with some amazing people who've um, gone off to do amazing things. Um, Justine Armour, I saw, just became ECD at 72 and Sunny yep. last week. She was there. You know, Steve Jackson, who's now running in Ocean, was there. Vinny Lagana was there also in the department. He's obviously kind of running things at Burnett's and mm. there were a whole kind of raft of people who were probably too, too senior well maybe not too senior but too talented to all be sitting in the one yeah. one, <laughs> one department and they've yeah. all gone on to do um, amazing things yeah but that was a pretty inspiring place it was one of those places where you could tell there was a there was sort of institutional creativity in there 
and the whole, the whole building kind of cared about it and mm. people would passionately debate the work, which I was like, oh, this is good. You know, it was a similar environment. Although it was a lot bigger than Droga at that time, um, there was a good culture of creativity and Bobby Sherwood was still involved at that point and was really, like, he cared. You know, yeah. when we when I started, he flew down and was like, you know, just wanted to talk about creativity and I sort of thought it was going to be some heavy meeting and he was like, no, I just want to, like, I just want to look you in the eye and have a chat about it. I was that's, like, okay, that's cool. Like, you know, was that CD role or ECD? Uh, it was actually, um, it was actually just a senior creative role. Oh, really? I don't even remember I thought, what it I thought was. You were a CD there. I was very quickly made a CD. Right. Okay. I, so that's, I basically, that's I turned sh- up and Steve was like, "You can sit at my desk," and I'm yeah. like, "Well, so what is this?" Like, and he's like, "Well, I kind of want you to be my partner." And I was like, okay. And so I was I just want your money then. senior credit. <laughs> yeah, so we, we kind of, um, I set up there and very quickly Steve was like, well, why don't we just sort of work as partners and, you know, he was quick to remind me that he was in charge, but uh, that we were kind of like divide and conquer on a bunch of stuff and it was quite fluid there really. I mean, he's very he was very much running it and in, in, in a... Um, in fairness um, to him, I think it was a really stressful era in that um, in that business. Just in terms of, um, we had a few clients, you know, like your Toyotas and your so, Lion Nathans that were huge yeah. and that had various complicated moving parts that, mm. you know, some cases were very political. Um, and I was lucky enough to often be shielded from some of that. I mean, I was very aware of it, but I was I was not. Um, and a number of those situations, <laughs> having to be the person going to have the the worst conversations, I was kind of more picking up the pieces after that stuff, which was great. But it was a good sort of soft entry into that. Say, so, first CD role, um, did you it was you said it's a soft entry? Did you notice any immediate kind of um, shift in your responsibility, or or, or it was quite similar to the style we had working in New York? You know, I kind of felt like was that, was that generosity thing you spoke about with Michael? Well, Sullivan? yeah, we do, yeah. definitely always tried to practice that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure on occasions I've been hopeless at it, but um, I think the the culture in that New York office was that there were a couple of interns in there, and then there's some people who were sort of creatives who were like probably midweight creatives, and then we were more like senior. You know, if we were in a bigger place, we would have probably been creative directors, but it was it was definitely mimicked that style of like your Ted's and Duncan's and days would help us and then we would in turn be sort of quite quite generous or attempt to be anyway with some of the great creative ideas that were coming out from um, those other creators who we were we were sort of surrounded by mm. um, so it was, it was probably a bit of an easy transition I think I freaked myself out about it though because I was kind of like even though it was just a job title I was like oh god am I going to things are changing yeah am I going to have to do things differently and I, I sort of I've wear a jacket. Yeah, exactly. Where's my tie? No, but I, I think I um, I think I freaked out unnecessarily. I think very quickly I realised that it was like, oh, actually, people just maybe trust your advice a bit more, or feel like they can ask for it more openly. Because if you're a senior creative, I think people just sort of spend a bit more time going, is he going to help me with this, or is he yeah, tra- right. what's his move on this? And I'm like. I think very quickly they were like, I, they, I didn't really care whether my name was on something or off something. I just wanted to, to be invariably funny. I was yeah. like, I love doing things, hopefully, that are funny. So I was like, oh, that, you know, would be funny as if this or if that. And, you know, you kind of just, it was more just turned into mucking around and people were very quickly like, oh, okay, he's yeah. not he's not trying to steal my job. He's actually just, have, you know, trying to get involved in it, which was which was good. Yeah. Um, and we had some weird ones in that era. Like we we did some work with, um, with Lion Nathan for twoies that ended up, we wrote this concept that was a stupid idea, but it involved running a beer around the world like it was oh, the yeah. Olympic torch during the Chinese Olympics. The selected great beer idea from Tui's new Super Cold is the Beer Relay. We've got the coldest beer on Earth. Now it's time to share it with the rest of the Earth. Follow the relay at fortheloveofbeer.com.au And we eventually got threatened with legal action by the IOC and the campaign had to change quite drastically as a result. Yeah. Yeah. But the client didn't come on the shoot and it went for five weeks and it was all around the world. That sounds great. It was great, but the thing was written on the fly. So I shot that 
um, with Gary Friedman, um, obviously Glue Society, Gary, and Vinny and I went on this shoot, and it was kind of like one of those things where I was enjoying it, but I was kind of freaking out because like, there's no client, and I'm like in these areas where there's not always cell phone coverage. So I was in like the Atlas Mountains in, you know, North Africa, and just sort of being like, I can't even call them to tell them what we're doing. We like, made an entire <laughs> film there that just had they had no visibility on it, and then turned up and was like, you can you can fly over to New York and see the edits, and they were like, okay, and turned up and were like, yeah, they're funny. Approved, and I was like, okay, that's weird. That never happens. I think it's, I um, think it's great though, right? Yeah, but it was, good. It was really good. Is, that's the way advertising was. It was kind of like 30, how, it, how it used ago. to work. It was, it was like, like, oh my go god, they the trust ads. us. Yeah. You go <laughs> you make know, the ads. We'll yeah. go work out our bit, and you yeah. know, and, and show us what you've got. So was that that was really um, fulfilling, really. But I, I think I almost got a bit of a false idea of how things were going to work because um, it definitely very quickly played out to see some of uh, some different challenges in that business um, mm. where you you know it got very not inside our business but more at the client end got quite political and mm. um, you know I think we still got some work out that I was really happy with but it was a lot more complicated you know oh, in sure. terms of as a as a person who's um, very quickly thrust into those conversations to negotiate you're like oh okay all right but I suppose you find your own way round or, or you don't yeah <laughs> well you pick your battles yeah yeah totally. Um, um, from there to TBW, so, yeah, so reunited I, with Matty. Yeah, I tried to get Matty to move to Sarchi's, and he's like, "I'm not doing that." And then he tried to get me to go and work with you guys over a droger again, and I was like, "Well, I'm not doing that. I've kind of done that." And then, um, and we, you know, obviously always been great mates outside of that as well. Um, and we just sort of one day got um, propositioned with the opportunity to go and run TBWA together, and we're like. You know, of all the networks at that time, we were like, you know, this one sort of feels ripe for a bit of a renaissance. Like it's got a, it's got good DNA and it's good got, clients. got good clients, and it, and it had, you know, obviously uh, people like John Hunt and you know Lee Clow, who had always been really, you know, blown away by um, their impact in the world creatively, and you know Scott Wyburn, whilst we hadn't had a huge amount of contact with him when we were sort of junior juniors, with you know there was obviously a, a kind of um, great reputation there in terms of kind of what he's done over his career from the palace to, you know, setting up his own offices and, uh, and doing all that sort of stuff. So we were like, this could be interesting. And sort of very quickly we ended up jumping ship and doing that. Yeah. And we were there for almost five years again. So we five kind of, years is, a, is five your, years is is your time. Fame. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Like, I think, I think there are people who do a whole career somewhere and then yeah. there are people who don't. Yeah. And uh, I, I sort of have always found it a you know, unless things are changing quite Dramatic. drastically and, you know, like in a way where it sort of refreshes itself, I start getting a little bit, I don't want to say bored, but no. I think you start kind of feeling like you're in a rut and you've got to try and bust out of it a bit, you know, which, which I suppose you can do. I mean, it's a weird one because like, I now, in my current role, I deal a lot with um, agencies all over the place, certainly across Asia and Pacific. But, you know, in Japan, there's a, broadly speaking, a culture of job for life in advertising. So you mm. get people who do 30 years. You know, someone will go to Dentsu and do 30 years in, in Dentsu and work their way up from a junior to run the place. Tell me, um, ECD role, so you would have definitely noticed a change from CD. <laughs> yeah. 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 People, yeah. business management. Um, yeah, the whole... How, how do you find that? The whole herding cats thing um, as an analogy uh, for creative leadership took on a new meaning at that point. But again, I've got to say, we were really lucky. We were really lucky. We were surrounded by some really amazing people who'd probably not, got necessarily the opportunities they needed or the encouragement. And the business had lost a couple of big clients right before we turned up, like literally after we'd handed notice and and um, before we started, they'd, they'd had two major losses. And so our first day, we were given a number and told to wipe that from the bottom line mm. um, out of our department and beyond. Yeah, welcome. And I'm, and I'm like, oh, that's a good start. Yeah, oh, I've seen um, that as well. And you've experienced that, I'm sure. I mean, it, and it's terrible. But, um, you know, to the credit of the agency, largely... Scott Wyburn and Paul Bradbury um, in particular, there was a real desire to push the holding company and the network back and to say, let's back ourselves and try and pitch our way out of this. Mm -hmm. And that was amazing. Like, to be given that chance, because mm -hmm. like, I, to be honest, I started that that first week and Maddie and I were just a bit shell-shocked, really. We were like, oh, man, I don't want to, you know, like, you don't want to start on that footing. Mm -hmm. Like, even if you just got a brief moment to have a shot at it, you could... You could try and get some momentum, yeah. you know, but it was just... Because you're forever dude, known as those guys then, yeah, aren't you? Totally. It's funny, though, because you can generate momentum through pitching because I was handed three incumbent pitches on the first day that I arrived, right? And you're like, holy shit. But then it really does give you a chance to 
or he assess a brand, make make your mark, and and and, and you know yeah. what, I, that is the single reason I think it worked there for us. I really do. I think if if we'd inherited a a slightly more stable roster of clients at the very beginning, I don't know. I'd like to think we wouldn't have been complacent, but I don't think we would have had momentum. I think we would have just been into business as usual and trying to maintain the status quo. Well, it would have been harder to, to have ownership of something. Totally. I guess. Totally. I mean, we we had a really good list of clients. There were some who loved their last kind of creative partners there and there are some who didn't and you know that's any agency i think you always get the the ones that are really happy and the ones that are not happy and it's a bit of a hard thing to control completely but we um we were on the pitch list for iag insurance and and which is sort of nrma and sgio and sgoc and all that and um we were kind of like okay well we you know the pressure on this is pretty substantial so we sort of rallied everyone we're like hey look full transparency this is where we're at this is where we need to get we win this we're good we don't but we're not so good we're not so good <laughs> and we've got faith in everyone here that they're going to lift and and help us get there and they did and weirdly like ideas that were presented in the pitch ended up getting made mm-hmm. we were lucky enough to win the win the business off the strength of some some great thinking that had come from this department that we um inherited and um not only that, but then the, that team who was sort of built around this thing um, went on to win loads of awards creatively and with effectiveness off off the work and that was generated for this client. And I think in a climate where everyone was like, oh, yeah, financial services, that's going to be a real drag, you know, and insurance particularly, like in terms of low-interest categories that people are sort of, you know, resentful of when the, you know, next kind of insure your car notice arrives in the mail and they're like, oh, God, I forgot about that, and it's substantial and it's a bit of a pain point. Um, it was really good just culturally in that company for people to see that on paper what could be a difficult area of the business could be actually the most creatively kind of respected and, mm. and kind of fertile area. Mm. And I think that informed a lot of the other work that came because everything was like, an well, opportunity, you can do right? that on that, you can do that on that. then this thing should be good, shouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it so, it so often happens, doesn't it? I mean, you must have found the same with Aldi. Yeah. You guys won a bunch of awards off that of, of every kind and it's funny and it's, you know, yeah, people it's, respond it's very, well to a, it. It's and, effective and, um, yeah, you know, just goes to show the power of creativity and a yeah. bit, uh, you said before, like a bit of humour, like funny stuff. Yeah. People like funny stuff. And got enough, there's enough heavy in the world. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah so that was, really, that was really positive. And then after a, a bunch of time there, Maddie and I ended up doing a regional job there, which was um, we were kind of overseeing all the APAC offices for um, TBWA and um, we're on the kind of worldwide creative board of, you know, I think there were four of us, um, which was fun in some regards. Like it was we got to meet some amazing people and come in contact with some amazing thinking and got to fly to LA frequently and have Italian with Lee Cloud, his restaurant next to his house, which was just an amazing life moment um, <laughs> every time that happened. Um, but after a while, we just felt like we were so far from the work We were in a meaningful sense. Like we were, you know, almost in case study land and talking to people about juries and, mm. you know, almost like it, it sort of – not that they were – not that there was any falsity there, but it was just kind of, it just didn't feel like it was very hands-on. And I think we were really missing that and going, oh, okay. Like that other bit of like just sitting around coming up with ideas or being right next to people who are coming up with ideas and being that energy yeah, was really missing. It's infectious. Right? And it can't, you know, you can't put that energy into that job. Like that's just not going to happen. Mm. Um, and certain people love that job mm. and are amazing at it, you know. Um, but at that point we were kind of like, I think we want to, get back into like hands-on mode so we we actually just um started our own business which was um special group so we did that for for sort of three years and that was amazing got to work with some amazing people and some amazing clients and that's still going and, and the opportunity to be small again yeah you know. it was good it was good also the opportunity to have dinner in the office every night which was yeah. mixed <laughs> so mixed good. feelings about by the time <laughs> i had two kids um <laughs> on a side note actually the uh the day I resigned from TVWA with Maddie, um, went home to the family, and then my wife was like, "Oh, I'm pregnant." I was like, "Oh, this is this is timely." <laughs> I've just spent my whole day resigning. Oh, so, oh so you didn't have the job at uh, Special Group at that stage? Well, we had planned it, right? We, but, we it, planned but it wasn't that. concrete. Oh, I know it was concrete. All right, okay. we just All hadn't. Right. Um, we didn't have any clients. Like we had Red Bull as a foundation client, which was good, um, and it was far less secure. It was mm. like. Oh, <laughs> oh! This is interesting. <laughs> it appears there is slightly more at stake now. Um, 
So that was interesting. Didn't see my uh, my kids very much in that first year or two. It was very intense working hours. Uncle Dad. Yeah, Uncle Dad. Mm. Was a bit. Who's that guy? <laughs> um, it's weird. Which is which has changed now very much. Um, but and weirdly, like the uh, the last chapter of the story, I suppose. Um, up until now is that we'd started working uh, with Google uh, on a number of creative projects and over the course of doing so we were like really enjoying ourselves very much the best part of our week kind of doing things that weren't advertising related but were brand related um, and kind of technology related and, and that was really awesome and towards the back end of our sort of third year at um, Special Group we got hit up by a, a, a very senior staffer at Google saying, do you want to come work here? And we're like, well, we kind of get to work with you. And they're like, do you want to run this division that you work with? And it was sort of one of those, I suppose, another one of those curveballs, but it was a bit kind of too interesting to say no to. Mm. Uh, and then I suppose the more we sat with it, the more we were like, that could be really interesting. And, I, you know, not to say that I'm bored of advertising, because I'm definitely not. And I think, you know, I, I still love advertising and attempt to stay as involved in it as I can. Mm. But it was just something different. And I think as a creative person, doing something different is always a great way of keeping you fresh. Out of your comfort zone, right? Totally. But also, um, yeah. I imagine trying to bring some of your skill set into that business. That's why they identified you as well. Oh, okay. I don't know if they realized that at the time. Mm-hmm. So they, there were lots of people. Yeah, what did they want, do you think? Well, they, so I, what I um, end up doing there um, these days, among other things. That was going to be my question. Oh, go on. <laughs> no, 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 go for it. <laughs> what do you do there? Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. How does your, how I does don't your, know what I do there. How does your role as creative chief, which is cool, I imagine you're wearing uh, all kinds of fancy costumes, uh, creative chief differ at Google Zoo to your uh, traditional agency setup? Well, the main difference um, on a day-to-day level is we don't really have a huge amount of crossover with Marcoms. So we end up working with a lot of marketing people and also work direct with a lot of agency people, uh, but we don't necessarily work on marketing and kind of communications calendars. So basically what what we end up doing is um, we work in a division of, of Google called Google Zoo, and basically our remit is to try and do things uh, creative things with technology uh, for brands that have never been done before. So we try and take uh, existing um, properties and platforms and products that Google have in their stable or that they're developing, and we try and find ways to uh, work with um, brands to do things with those that, that just basically have never never happened before, mm-hmm. which is awesome. It's also a pretty daunting challenge when you're like, sure. you know, you, you're, you're something your day is like, do a first, do a first. So you hit these fairly radical hurdles, but we're lucky enough to be surrounded by a really, really talented team of people. So are you given, do, does someone come to you and say, oh, this is this new thing we're developing, go and try and match it to... A brand it or... sort of happens a lot more organically than that. Yeah. So yeah. Google, I mean, one thing I, I realised when I started working there is that I knew very little about how Google actually exists in the world and what it does. And it's it's an amazing company, which seems like a somewhat redundant thing to say, but it is. It's I suppose its its core aim is is you know to try and be user first and try and help people do things, which is which is great. Obviously, they've got their history in search and properties like YouTube that everyone knows and. Chrome and these other products, but very quickly we realised that there's about 340 other products that they have that we didn't either didn't know about or or knew about but didn't really understand how they operated. And so it's it's a really fertile environment for creativity. Now, in saying that, the creativity there is very different to the creativity mm-hmm. that I've experienced in in advertising and comms world because a lot of that is kind of like give it to me in a sentence or it's you know it's like idea on a page and it's this like it's a very condensed conceptual element which i love and there is that to google but there's also you know this whole other kind of tangent which is very dominant tangent the main tangent i'd argue which is you know this engineering creativity where people build things and make things and you know there's that Mm -hmm. um that comes first you know they take it so seriously and it's quite beautiful to watch these really radically different personalities come out with these ideas that just I don't think in many other companies elsewhere would even be possible. Mm-hmm. So as I almost feel like, a, and they talk about it as like imposter syndrome. So it's like a thing in Google where people turn up and I'm like, oh, my, I can't believe I'm working here. Mm-hmm. And I definitely still feel that. Um, but as someone who, you know, like you, Cam, spent 
large chunks of your professional career trying to have ideas that you don't quite know how to make. And you're like, what if we could do a thing like this? And you're like always having that conversation of like, I don't know how you build that. Who do we find to build that? And this is almost the other way around where people are just constantly building and developing and you're like, oh, okay. What could I do with that? I've got to find a home for it. Yeah, some of them aren't thinking for obvious reasons about brands because it's not, you know, they're just trying to make something that's amazing. And, you know, there's almost this uh, weird kind of crossroads of, of kind of commerce and creativity there where you sort of feel like a bit of a kid in a candy store, really. You kind of go, imagine that with that and that over there and how, you know. Um, so that, that's been awesome. It's a, but it's like a, a brain breaker. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, we're, you know, they, they also, you know, they also do take training really seriously. So they're, they're sort of quite understanding about the fact that you are overwhelmed. You <laughs> 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 kind of constantly have people going, so how's it going? And you're like, okay. okay. <laughs> and they're like, you sort of said that like you were asking me a question. And I'm like, I was going to move away from ads for a minute. Um, You were in a band. I was in a band. Tell me about the band. Uh, I was the least talented member of a band called Pivot uh, that is still going (laughs) and were forever far more successful for me leaving, um, if I'm completely honest about it. Um, Yeah, so it was a weird coincidence, really, where um, two dear friends of mine who I grew up with and went to primary school with, um, who are very talented uh, musicians, uh, Richard and Lawrence Pike are their names, uh, who play in loads of different bands um, around the world. And um, I think I was really lucky to be the only person that they knew well who collected records, had turntables and used to DJ around. They were like, hey, we we want to do this really kind of weird um improvised music project where we're going to try and uh, merge various different styles of music uh, in an awkward way to see what it sounds like and we'll do live improvised music. Are you, are you interested in getting involved? And I was like, very interested, mm-hmm. even though I was uh, probably not um, of the talent level required to be involved in a band. Um, very quickly, we just sort of got these kind of odd gigs. Like we used to play at a place called New Orleans Cafe, which was in Crow's Nest, which was a weird sort of sprawling outdoor cafe. Oh, yeah. And we had a weekly gig there on Sundays playing for three hours. And if you think about, like, improvising conceptually for three hours, yeah. it gets pretty weird. By the end of it, you're like, you're in some dark corners. And it, used to, it used to either just be the sort of thing that we're like, I don't, so just I don't think the people having dinner want to listen to this. Yeah. Just feed back into a speaker. <laughs> So we did that for a few years, and we were kind of involved in, uh, I suppose, the uh, electronic music scene, and, and ended up doing tours with um, Square Pusher and Manitoba, and some of the surviving members of Can, which is an awesome sort of '70s prog band. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sort of started kind of getting involved in stuff like that. We did um, Sydney Festival with, you know, we used to do like live improvised soundtracks to film. So we did like a live improvised soundtrack to Blade Runner at Sydney Festival. Eventually we um, got in a studio and improvised uh, a whole bunch of different musical ideas and recorded them and then released them. So the only weird thing was once we released this record, we then had to play it again, which is something that I was definitely not used to. So these guys were all amazing professional musicians who had gone to the conservatorium and played in lots of bands. And very quickly, I was heavily out of my comfort zone. Yep. We were sort of, I suppose, at a crossroads where it was like I needed to take it a lot more seriously. And by that time, I had also moved to New Zealand to work at Saatchi's. So I was commuting to do tours. And I was like, there was that point where I was like, I think this is not sustainable. Yeah. And so I, I kind of um, respectfully disappeared and i think actually it was it, it, i think it was an inevitable conversation that they would have like weeks later if i'd been like no i'm doing this they would have been like mm. <laughs> and it would have been totally fair to be honest right i have um now i've got some this or that questions okay so james brown or george clinton james brown all the way 100 percent. jay-z or naz oh i'd be naz man Jay-Z Bing campaign or Google Chrome experiments? <laughs> what was the first one you mentioned? The Jay-Z Bing what? campaign? What? The what? Yeah, <laughs> Bing. It's just, uh, it's a it's a search, search engine. engine. 
Ah, yeah, I remember vaguely hearing <laughs> something about that. I think I'd have to fall firmly on the Chrome side of things. There you go, there yeah. you go. And that's not, and that's not because I'm a company man. That's because I really like that campaign they did with BBH and Google Apps. It was bloody cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, digital or analog? Can we make it analog? Yes. I love I love what digital things have made possible, but I'm also still a firm the rawness. appreciator of analog things. Yes. Yeah. Time travel forwards or time travel backwards? Oh, definitely backwards. So, I, 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 it's got to be nostalgia. It's got to yeah. be nostalgia backwards, all the way backwards. You can't come. For, you forwards, can't come back. Forwards is coming quick enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> save whales or save elephants? Hmm. I really like both those animals. Pick one. Um, it's like Sophie's choice. I think it is, isn't it? I think whales. Okay. Poor elephants. Uh, breakfast pizza or breakfast burrito? Oh, breakfast pizza all the way. And lunch pizza and dinner pizza. Uh, Lafroig and Pepsi Max or <laughs> Lafroig and Coca-Cola no sugar? Oh, my God. That's another Sophie's choice. <laughs> I still remember my dad saying when I tried to order a scotch and Coke, why would you go and ruin two perfectly good drinks? <laughs> um, I think I'd take the Coke option even though it has no sugar. Oh, okay, there you go. Um, Trump's hands or Trump's hair? <laughs> Wow. Trump's hair. I mean, the comedy value. Is <laughs> you with Trump's hair would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> eat a cat or eat a dog? I've got a dog. I'd have to say eat a cat. Okay. Who wins a knife fight, Jared Butler or Daniel Craig? I think Daniel Craig. Uh, call your mum or text her. Oh, I've got to call your mum. Dave Bowman from 2001 A Space Odyssey or Dave Bowman, the American jazz pianist from the 60s? Oh, 2001 all the way. Stanley Kubrick did some favourable things with that character. <laughs> Little finger chopped off or kicked in the groin region every day for a month? Wow. You're leading down a dark road here, mm. Cab. Um, I think I'd lose the finger. Allergic to bacon or allergic to cheese? And I'm choosing an allergy here. Yeah. Would it, would it be just bacon? Could I still eat prosciutto mm. or other cured pork products? Oh, okay. Well, my question was bacon, so yeah, yeah, I, I, guess you, bacon. I guess you can. Okay, just bacon, yeah. Three legs and one arm or three arms and one leg? <laughs> Uh, I think three arms would be good, and I do a lot. Of, I do. I do. I do a lot of sitting, so that's fine. You do a lot of skipping. Yeah, three, three arms. A lot of hopping. Three arms, a lot of hopping. Um, is there a parting thought? Is there somewhere to end this? <sighs> I don't know. I, it's a long road back from those. This one or that question. <laughs> I can't even remember what we were here for now. Um, we're not even drunk. The only, the only other thing I suppose I'd say is what we were talking about before we started recording this, I thought was really interesting that we were, you know, there's a lot of people out there um, on the kind of more junior and midweight scale of things in the ad business mm. who um, often kind of feel like, I don't know, is this business for me at various different points? And all I'd say is I reckon it definitely is. You've just got to find the right place. Because there's so many amazing people who work in this business. I'm I'm very lucky at the moment. Oh, I'm lucky in the past to have worked with many of them, and I'm lucky right now to be able to work with, I suppose, a new freedom on that. Because I can kind of uh, there's not necessarily an obvious list of um, people, agencies, or brands I can or can't work with. Um, and I will say, for a few faults, advertising as a business is filled with some really interesting people mm, who are wildly creative and in various um, cases could have pretty much done whatever they wanted to do in broad strokes creatively and somehow ended up in this business. And uh, on that front, I think it's a really rich environment that there aren't really many equivalents of. Mm. So I, I would encourage people to push through self-doubt and be like, oh, if, it's, if this isn't the place, then maybe there's another place. Yeah, I think, yeah, find the environment you thrive in. And I think it's great for creative people because you make a lot or you can make, you find the right environment and you can make a lot of stuff so totally. you can see your creativity come to life more quickly and enjoyed by more people. And the fault of it might be the busyness, but that's also the strength for that mm. reason because you can, you know, the places <clears throat> where you're under that pressure and there's that machine cranking at that speed, it just means you're more prolific. Yeah. Mm. And for people who are creative uh, or creatively minded even, I, I do think that's awesome because, you, you know, it's taxing, but you realise that there aren't many other fields where you get to do that yeah. in terms of with that kind of relentlessness, you know. So stick with it, even if it feels terrifying. Dave, you've been a gent. 
Oh, mate, thank you very much for yeah, having me. No, yeah, thanks for coming in, mate. Yeah, Dave, it's been that's a really kind of inspiring way to finish as well, mate. And it's been fascinating talking to you. It's been oh, really, well, thank really, you so much for really, really cool. Been awesome. It's been great. Oh, thank so thank you so much. And Cam, uh, thanks again for two awesome episodes. That's now. us. We're, we're wrapped up. Yeah, we ha- we oh. have. And so it's now over to, to, to Dave. Time. Now I don't know, Dave, whether you've put any thought into who you would potentially like to talk to next time. There, I mean, it's, as a business, it's there are so many amazing people in it. It's kind of it's a tough question to go narrow it down to who's who's that person there are so many um people who are inspiring i'll get right back to you all right okay well we look forward to it and once again thank you very much thank you again thanks a lot thanks for downloading the creative relay podcast brought to you by smith and weston go to our website at thecreativerelay.com made by our good friends at macadamia digital where you'll find a whole lot more info and extra content about the podcasts and all our guests I'll be back next time with Dave and his mystery guest. Meanwhile, don't forget to subscribe, like and rate us. See you next time. The Creative Relay is recorded, mixed and mastered at Smith & Weston Studios. If you want to improve the quality of your podcast or start a podcast of your own, go to smithandweston.com.au and get your first episode produced for free.